Uh, it is uh, really good to see a lot of faces uh, walking in and, and seeing you all. Um, if I forget your name, I'm very sorry. Uh, I just have a bad memory right now, apparently. But it is uh, great to be back in this place. Uh, with my family, we got to spend a year and a half here at the church. Uh, we had one of our, our kids, Koa, born while we were here, and uh, since then, we, we had another one. So, we're now a family of, of six. Uh, you, you probably missed our family, but they were the crazy ones running across the street uh, without looking. Um, so glad that they're safe in a van and they're gone now. Uh, uh, I was just saying in the, in the first gathering, it's a, it's a joy to be able to see a church uh, give their pastors uh, sabbaticals, whether it was uh, Andy a few months ago or whether it was, it was Lee. Uh, we just also at uh, Tri-City Church sent both of our pastors on, uh, on sabbaticals. Uh, it is great to watch uh, these guys come back rested and ready to serve, um, both spiritually and, and emotionally, uh, just given some time to rest. So thank you for doing that, uh, and thank you for being uh, just uh, people who are holding down the fort and helping serve this church so faithfully. Um, if you have your Bibles, welcome you to grab them and open them to Galatians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, and while you're doing that, I'm just going to pray for us as we jump in. So Jesus, uh, thank you for gathering your people, for drawing us together to center the teaching of your word, to worship together, uh, to, to be in community together. And I pray, Father, that this morning as we open your word and as we study these few verses, we would see what they're pointing to, what they're calling us to, what they're warning us of, uh, and God, how it is that we're supposed to be living in light of your word. Uh, in relationship with you, walking with the Spirit. Uh, Would you help us, God, to have ears that are ready to hear, eyes that can see, hearts that are soft, and able to hear hard words or difficult words or things that we need to take action on. Uh, God, would we not leave this place unchanged, or um, would we not leave this place not worshiping you and thanking you for your goodness, your grace, uh, and the cross? So God, bless our time and bless us as we read and study this morning. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you guys uh, waste time watching documentaries, but my wife and I sometimes do because that's what you do in the evenings when you're exhausted after having four kids all day. Uh, so one of the documentaries we watched a while back was uh, something called uh, Three Mile Island. It was about uh, a nu- nuclear reactor in, in Pennsylvania, a small town, uh, and, and this nuclear reactor was supposed to be this, this great, uh, clean, safe cheap energy. It it was going to provide for the communities around it, both jobs, but also power. And everything was going well until one fateful uh, night, uh, something went wrong. And there was a a mechanical error in one of the valves that caused it to stay open and actually release the fluids that were supposed to help cool the reactor. Reactors, if you don't know, work on superheating water until it evaporates, turning turbines. So steam is good, but if you get too much steam and too much heat, you get, you get meltdowns. And so the problem was with this mechanical failure, this, this condition happened that, that put this at the, the front and the face of, of people who were serving behind the desks. And that the people behind the desks mistook what was happening and didn't act correctly. Because they didn't act correctly, there was a partial meltdown of the reactor core. Uh, it was... Uh, it had melted part of the protective casing that kept the, the uranium from uh, actually causing a, a much damage and obviously nuclear fallout. Um, obviously, the, the town had to be partially evacuated. There was a big uh, just fear of, of what was going to happen. And, and the, the fallout from this wasn't so much um, uh, physical or, or health in nature. It caused actually a lot of different projects to be shuttered across uh, the, the, the United States. Instead of opening more nuclear reactors to provide cheap and clean energy, they, they, they were stopped. And 
There was even some that were, were shut down altogether. The, the point of why I say this is there were conditions that, that were supposed to be looked at and seen and understood. And when, when they saw certain conditions, they were supposed to act on them. And, and because of their failure to act on these different conditions, it, it, it led to serious consequences. The passage we're going to look at today is going to, to give us that same, that, that same structure. Paul, in, in his letter, is, is, is saying you're supposed to live in step with the Spirit. But, but even if you're living in step with the Spirit, there's some conditions to watch out for. He's going to say there's, there's three conditions. Uh, falling into sin, uh, being overcome by the weight, uh, the burdens of, of this world, and by spiritual pride. He's saying you need to watch out for those conditions. If you don't act appropriately, there's going to be some consequences. So read the passage with me, and let's see what Paul is saying to us today. So verse 1, chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But lest each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So the first condition that we have to look out for is falling into sins. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, like I said, that what Paul is trying to warn us of, what we need to see clearly, is, he, is he's a better reading maybe even of this, this first verse, isn't if anyone is found in any transgressions, but even though you're walking with the Spirit, this is a real possibility for you. All of us have the possibility of falling into sin, which is both warning and, and grace. See, on one hand, it's, it's a warning that we need to take sin seriously, that we need to be looking clearly and, and, and directly at our lives to see where we could be falling into sin, walking in sin, not walking with the Spirit. There's a, there's a warning for all of us. But on the other side, we need to actually see the grace in this, which is every single one of us is going to fall into this. This isn't unique just for those weak Christians or those less than Christians or those bad Christians. This is something for all of us. And, and we need to have grace for our brothers and sisters as, as well as for ourselves. Even though you're walking with the Spirit, the likelihood is we're all going to fall into sin. Now what does Paul mean when he says fall into sin? Well, there, there, there's a difference in, in how Paul talks about this in different places. Here, he's, he's talking about a lapse. He, he's talking about temporarily slipping into. This isn't talking about habitual sin. You know, the, the, the kind of sin that we wake up and we long for, that we, we look for ways to satisfy our flesh. He, he's, he's talking about the things that we can be living a normal life and mess up. We, we, we can fall into. See, this isn't about the sin that leads us to deny our faith, at least not right away. This isn't about the, the kind of sin that just blows up marriages or kills churches. This is the kind of stuff that every single one of us every day falls into. It's a, a conversation that slips from caring for someone into gossip. 
it, it goes from talking about what's going on in your life and, and not talking just about the difficulties, but complaining and grumbling against God. It's, it's falling into talk that's coarse or rude when you're with close friends. It's being uh, stuck eating too much or maybe drinking too much, being unwise with our time or our money, how we're, how we're spending our time with people. It's being judgmental and bitter versus wise and discerning. These are things that all of us slip into. See, it's something maybe that, that you've been doing, but when somebody points it out, you're shocked that you would ever do it. Oh, I, I, can't, I can't believe I would actually fall to that. I can't, I can't believe I would, I would walk that way. The, the picture that I want you to get is of, of you walking down a path and, and tripping over a rock. You just didn't see it. Or, or you're, you're walking close to the side of the embankment and, you, and your, your foot just kind of slips down a little bit. How should we respond to this kind of sin? Uh, how, should we, how should we treat these kinds of things? Well, I think it's the difference between, you know, your teenager boring your car and when they're backing out of a parking lot, they, they crunch somebody's bumper. It, it, it's between that and the, the teenager who goes out and, and puts your car into a demolition derby, right? What, one's a little bit more thought through. One's a, I can't believe you did that. Right? It, it's the difference maybe between the server that when they're coming to your table, they, they spill some water over your lap versus the waiter who's frustrated with you and angry and throws a whole plate of food on you, right? Maybe it's the difference between uh, playing a pickup game of basketball where you're going up for a layup and somebody fouls you versus somebody who runs across the court to drop kick you. There's a difference in, in attitude, in, in purpose, in motivation, See, Paul wants us to see something so clearly. We are all capable of this. And it starts off innocently, but it can become dangerous to our faith. Everyone can fall into sin, even if you're walking with the Spirit. So what's the action? What's the, what's the call? That's the condition. What's the action? What are we supposed to do about it? Well, Paul continues, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. See, the responsibility for those brothers and sisters who have fallen into sin is upon those who are walking with the Spirit and, of course, walking with the church. You have to, you have to know these people to be able to see their sin and, and to speak into their lives. You who are spiritual. Everybody can do this, which means it requires every single one of us in this church to be on the lookout for those around us. Two things to point out here. First off, we all need to be willing to speak into the lives of our church family. All, all of us. E even with our own brokenness and our own sin and our own issues, all of us need to be willing to speak into the lives of our church family members even when it's awkward and hard because we need the church to do that in our lives too. It's not just ministry staff or pastoral staff or elders, lay leaders. It's not just those people that we need. We need the whole church to warn us of sin that they see in our lives. But the second piece of that is we all need to be humble enough to hear the words of our family members speaking into our lives. All of us need to be in a, in a heart posture to be able to hear what they're saying to us. To know that they're not trying to hurt us or, or break us down, but they, they love us, they care for us. 
See, rather than being self-righteous enough to, to believe we don't need them or heed their warnings, humility says, I might not see everything. And I need my, my brothers and sisters who love me to care for me enough to speak into my life. This is what uh, Paul says in Romans 15, 1-7. This is what the church is supposed to do. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of, each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in, accordance with, or in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice, voice glorify God the Father, our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And the point of all of this is to say, this isn't just about us. This is about the witness of, of the church. This is about our sanctification. And, and this is about God's glory itself. God has welcomed us. God has loved us. We need to love one another. We do this to imitate our Savior. So the emphasis of this call to action is, is consideration towards the sinner, not severity, not harshness, not condemnation. The desire is to see in gentleness our brothers and sisters who are in sin come back in repentance to living with Jesus, to walking in step with the Spirit. It's assumed we'll all be like Jesus who forgives enemies when they've done nothing good. It's assumed that that's the kind of heart posture we as brothers and sisters would have to our family. The warning that, uh, that Paul gives us, he continues in verse 1, Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. People are going to fall into sin. You who are spiritual should come alongside them and restore them in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. See, just, just because there's grace for people who have fallen into sin doesn't mean that we still don't have to be worried about falling into sin ourselves. See, the one who's fallen into sin didn't choose to fall into sin, but that doesn't mean we're allowed or we're given license to go and join them. We're, we're supposed to take sin so seriously because if we don't, we're going to walk in it ourselves. Don't, don't look at the one in sin and justify your own sin. Well, they messed up. It's not that big of a deal if I do it. Right? Paul in Romans 6 tells us, you know, grace you know, is, is abounding for, for sinners. Does that mean we should go on sinning? By, by no means. So he tells us in, in 2 Timothy 2, 22-26 this. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the name of the Lord with a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant conversations, uh, controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The hope that we have, the, the, the point of the church, the, the warning that we're given, is that this works great when we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. 
When we look and see how they're fallen and that we also are people who could fall and we want to correct them, point them back to walking with Jesus because we don't want to be the kind of people who walk away from God. So church, be gentle and restore. Be vigilant, not to be tempted and walk in sin. Flee with your brothers and sisters from sin. Hold fast to the grace of God that has saved you. The application, the question that we have to ask is, how do you naturally view people who have fallen into sin? How do you view the people around you that you see when they mess up, when they fall short? What does our response look like for those who have fallen into sin, whether it's, it's gossip or coarse joking, jokes that are too far, being unwise with time or money or the company they keep? How, how do we respond to those people? Has the sin of others become a license for your own sin? And how are you keeping a watch on your own heart while doing life with others? Some good questions to ask about what Paul is warning us of, this first condition. Paul goes on to say, verse 2 and 3, this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The second thing we see is is it's easy to, to be overcome by the burdens of life. Again, to say it differently, even though you're walking with the Spirit, life is is hard. Paul's talking about here all of life, not, not, just, not just sin. He's talking about weakness and, and sufferings, trials and, and temptations. He's talking about loss and pain and sin. Everything that makes up of, of life can become a burden. It's everything from singleness to marriage. Dating to divorce, being a widow even, having trouble with your kids or actually having trouble having kids, losing kids, having rebellious ones, having sickness, jobs or no jobs, jobs you hate, injury, sickness, if you can name it and it's a thing that adds weight and stress to your life, this is what Paul is talking about. It's, it's easy to look at, at some people and wonder why they're struggling with certain things, right? We, we can look at people who are more immature or, or seem weaker and go, why is that a thing you're struggling with? I worked with, uh, with youth and with young adults for, for many years, still do. Uh, one of my favorite things is talking with, with teenagers, you know, a grade 8 boy who's talking about how difficult life is. You know, God, Tim, you just, you don't understand it. Like, I had basketball practice three nights this week. I had to wake up at 7.30 on a Saturday to go to a tournament. Like, it's just, I'm so tired. And then they become young adults. Oh, you just don't understand it. College, there's so much work. I was just, it's so much right now. And you just kind of smile and nod along. And then they get, they get married. Man, there's no time for anything. Oh, it's so hard doing marriage. Like, just, just wait. Then the first kid comes, right? You guys have had that experience with people around you? Suddenly, life is just uh, intolerable, right? Like, it's just, I have no energy for anything. I can't, I can't do anything. The point is, it's, it's easy to look at people who are behind us and wonder why they can't handle that weight, and yet, it only takes a few conversations with somebody who's close to us 
for us to kind of show them what our burdens are, what, what weight we're carrying, what things are really hard in our own lives. Don't think you should try and hide it or, or pretend you don't have it. That's not the point. The, the, the point is that, that all of us have to bear weight in this world. There's, there's many different things in, in this life that are going to come and, and feel like they're, they're crushing us. The cancer diagnosis. You know, the car accident that you had that you just you can't get healthy. Everything still just hurts. You're in pain. Maybe it's losing, losing a job or having that, that trouble in your, your marriage. There are things that are heavy that sometimes we just can't pick ourselves up from our bootstraps and just get back to life being happy. And it's, it's not just us. Even those people who've had these, these mountaintop experiences with God, they have this experience too. One, one of my favorite stories, love sharing this with my kids, of Elijah going up onto to Mount Carmel and he's going to go against Baal and his prophets to prove that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the one true God. And they have this, uh, this, this God standoff where the prophets of Baal dance around, they cut themselves and they scream and they, they try and get Baal to answer, to, to, to bring down fire, to, to take this, this offering that they've put on the altar. And then Elijah goes and, and he, he creates a moat and pours water in it and puts his sacrifice, pours more water. And then he calls out and God answers the pillar of fire coming down and taking it all away. It's, 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 it's all gone. And, and they kill all the prophets of Baal and there is a great revival and things are going so well and Elijah goes out into the wilderness and says, God, just kill me now. I, just can't, I can't handle it. It's too much. It's not just for the weak. Every single one of us is going to have times in our lives where the, the weights of life are a burden that it feels like we cannot bear. The body of Christ, the church, is designed to help bear those burdens. As we walk forward in the Spirit together, we may do it with a limp, but it's because we're, we're taking on the weight of members who are struggling. See, the idea of, of bearing in this passage is this idea of, of sympathy, a willingness to come alongside those who are suffering we're supposed to come alongside that, that brother or that sister and let them put their arm over us so they can lean on us and we can take some weight to help them as we continue to walk together. We don't leave them on the side of the road by themselves. 59 times in the New Testament, there's this phrase, to one another. It's, it's this command for the church of what we should do to one another. A third of those are to love one another. Another third is about how we do relationships within the church. Things like this, bear with one another, to be devoted to one another, to build one another up, to accept one another, to care for one another, to serve one another, to be patient with one another, to comfort one another. The church is designed not only to come together on a Sunday morning to gather as, as the body, to sing and to sit under the teaching of God's word, to say hi to people and know some names. The church is designed to one another. The way that Christ has loved us, we are to love one another. The way that Christ has, has borne our sin on the cross, we, we come alongside and we bear with our brothers and sisters. 
This is what it looks like to, to fulfill the commands of the, the New Testament. We don't come passively to receive and then, and then leave. We're supposed to be the true community that is gathered together to, to show what God is like. At Tri-City, we call this authentic community. Here, you call it committed to one another. Your byline that every single one of you members has committed to, to memory is this. No community is perfect, but by God's grace, we seek to grow in our relationships with one another as we share life together. If you call this place home, these are your brothers and sisters who need you to come alongside them to, to bear the burdens of life, to walk with them as they limp. What we're called to do is to fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul tells us exactly what he's talking about. Galatians, uh, four, uh, Galatians 5.14, he says this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is just Matthew 22, 26-29. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's repeated throughout the, the New Testament. Like I said, a third of the one another is about how to love one another. 1 John 4, 21, this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. To bear one another's burdens is to fulfill the law of Christ, is to love our neighbors as ourselves. When you are in the middle of a season where weight is on you and you are feeling crushed and you feel like you can't go on, what do you want most? You want grace. You want, you want help. You, you want somebody who, who comes in with sympathy and encouragement. We don't want to be ignored or overlooked we don't want to be seen as the burden. I don't want to be overlooked or dismissed because I'm struggling in life right now. When we respond to people who are, who are a burden in our life with, with anger or frustration, with dismissal, it, it reveals something true about our hearts. It reveals that we believe that we actually don't need that ourselves because we've done enough ourselves. We're, we're good enough. We're, we've got our own self-righteousness thing going on that, that we get to look better than these people. There's deep idolatry in our hearts when we, when we look at others who are struggling and failing and, and, and having a bad time of it. And we look down on them rather than sympathize and care for them. The warning that, that Paul gives is this, verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Do you really believe that we've never needed help or encouragement for the things of life that bear down on us? See, Paul wants us to be reminded because we have bad memories. We have very good short-term memory loss and long-term memory loss when it comes to our own failings and our own issues. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-28. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. 
See, because we've been sanctified, if we've been in the church for a while, and because of our bad memories, we forget who we were when God found us. And we even overlook the sin that's still in our hearts and in our lives. When we believe that we've gotten here on our own handiwork and our own resolve, we're, we're, we're turning our nose up at the work of the cross and the work of the Spirit in our lives. And instead, holding on to our own self-righteousness. See, I think one of the problems many of us have is we, we've all had a limp. We've all walked with a limp, but for some of us, we've learned to try to turn it into swagger. That we, we try to make it look like we've got it all together, like this is what it's supposed to be like. That's so dangerous. Because it leads to spiritual pride. That's our third thing. We're going to get there, but if we don't take our own sins seriously, our own failings, oh, that's going to be hard to get over. If we don't take our own sin and spiritual failings and we look down on others and we lift ourselves up, when we try to become something, when we know that we are truly sinners, saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, when we fail to do that, we fail to to continue to hold on to our salvation. So the question for this, this section is this, who are you actually in community with? Not, not friendship, but the kind of we talk about, right? The, the growing in our relationships with one another as we share life together. Who are you doing life with like that? Who do you know so well that you actually know their burdens and you love them? That, that you're willing to walk with them in the midst of their struggles even when it costs you, when it, when it weighs you down. Do you bear the weight of anyone or are you too busy or too bothered by that? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The third condition that we're going to look at is the one that is so dangerous for all of us, especially if we fail to see these first two conditions and act on them. The third one is spiritual pride. Read verses three to five with me. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. The ultimate condition in our passage comes from the the kind of person who, who looks down on those in sin or sees those buckling under the weight of life and scoffs at their weakness. Instead of looking at themselves clearly in comparison to Jesus, it's the kind of person who looks at at other Christians who are failing or not where we are and goes, "At at least I'm better. We're supposed to not look at that. We're supposed to look at the the person and the work of, of Jesus. The fact that God himself became man and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, that he lived a perfect life, sacrificially serving his people who hated him, who were enemies, and yet he died for them. That, that's, our, that's our litmus test. That, that's who we're supposed to hold our own lives and our own hearts and our own actions up according to. Because when we do that, we cannot help but be humbled and see how far short we fall from that perfect standard. 
See, judging ourselves according to other sinners is like a, a, a grad from art school entering a preschool painting contest and feeling good that they won. We would all mock that. I mean, it's ridiculous. It, w- it would be like an NBA all-star showing up to a pickup game of basketball and scoring 100 points and feeling good about it. You shouldn't. It's, it's embarrassing. You're, you're better than them. The, the point isn't if you're better than a bunch of people who are way behind you. It's, it's what are you compared to the best? And Jesus is supposed to be the one we look to, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We should look at the cross and see how wretched and weak and wicked we are compared to Jesus. This is what Paul tells us to do. Let each one test his own work. His reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that, Christ, uh, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? What God wants for all of us to see how much we've been given, this, this new life, this this ability to walk with the Spirit. And we're supposed to see what are we trusting in? The, the call is, is not to prove our actions and conduct as better than other Christians, but to prove that our conduct and our actions are a result of our faith in Jesus Christ alone. But Paul tells us this in, in his letters. He talks about boasting, but the thing he always boasts in is not what he has done, but what Christ has done through him and in him. When he looks at the church and when he looks at the converts and when he looks at the leaders and when he looks at the letters, when he looks at everything that has been done because of his life, he doesn't say, look how good I am. He says, look at how great a savior I have. That's supposed to be our heart too. That, that, that art school grad isn't supposed to go to preschoolers and think he's done a good job. He, he's supposed to try and be better and better and create something beautiful and wonderful and glorifying. That, that high school or that basketball player is supposed to try and be the best he can be with what God has given him and work hard with everything. And that's the same picture for us. Philippians tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in us to will and to work according to his good pleasure. It's not just about what we can do by ourselves. We'll fail. The point is that we're supposed to see what God is doing in and through us. That's what we're supposed to boast in. That's what we're supposed to set our lives in. There's no other foundation that we can build our lives on and that foundation is necessary for every single thing that we do. Are we bringing God glory through faithful living and trusting in the finished work of the cross? If you're, you're here and, and you're, you're struggling with this, maybe you're non-Christian, I just say you're not enough because I'm not enough either and nobody else in this room is enough. The, the reason we gather on a Sunday morning isn't to feel good about what we've done, it's to, it's to, to bask in the glory of what God has done for us. That our lives would become about worshiping Him. If we test our actions and conduct and don't see the power of the Spirit working in and through us, maybe it's because we're not walking in the Spirit, but we're trying to walk in our own power. The warning comes at the end, for each will have to bear his own load. 
Romans 14, 12 says this. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. What Paul is, is speaking about here at the, at, at the end, he's not talking about the same kind of bearing as, as verse 2. He's not talking about all of life's difficulties, the trials, the struggles, the pain, the toil. He's talking about when we, when we see Jesus face to face and when he judges us, every single person is going to have to give an account. Every single person is going to have to bear their own load. It's not about what everybody else has done. It's about where we've put our faith. See, we can't trust that we're being marked on a curve. Uh, if you've ever been part of a really hard college class, I haven't. But if you have, uh, sometimes the professor tries to kind of like bump up the grades a little bit because people didn't do very well. So maybe you got like a middling grade, but uh, the rest of the class did really, really poor. So everybody gets bumped up. Well, that, that's, that's not what, what it's going to be like before the throne of God when we have to give an account. So we only pass the test if we have the right answer. And the right answer is our faith is in the finished work of Jesus alone on our behalf. That's what we're trusting and that's what we're hoping and that's what we're expecting to save us. We are only in this place because the Spirit has regenerated us because Jesus has died on the cross for us and welcomed us into relationship. The response to this kind of of good news is, is what Psalm 50, 15 says, call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Our hearts are open to see how wicked and how sinful we really are and we hold on to the work and the person of Jesus alone. Where are you looking for the assurance of your faith and salvation? Are you looking towards others, at others' lives? You know, that, that, that person, they're in the church, they seem like they're doing good, but their, their marriage is blown apart. They're, they have kids who are rebellious. I'm, I'm doing better than them. I, I'm in a good place. Are you judging your salvation on the sin of others and on your apparent self-righteousness or on the finished work of Jesus alone? Are you looking at your own record of of serving in the church and attending the church, being in community groups, being in Bible studies? Uh, Is that what you're judging your salvation on? Because all of us have to stand before God. Each will have to bear his own load. And the only right answer to this load is that we're holding on in faith to Jesus. And that's the thing that we get to boast in. And when we reject spiritual pride, and it's going to make us people who love our neighbors better. It's going to make us people who speak into the lives of those around us without arrogance, without being haughty, without being proud. Because we know that these people who are struggling in their sin, and these people who are bearing this load that is heavy and burdensome, are no different than us. Travelers headed towards the kingdom of God in need of his grace. My hope for us, for you, would be that we would be the kind of church, the kind of people who look at the conditions around us and that we see our families and want to restore them with gentleness. We'd want to bear their burdens in love and we would look to the cross for our salvation alone. Would would this be our prayer and our hope for us today? Let's pray. 
Jesus, I thank you that you have been patient with us. That God, while we were yet enemies, you died for us. That God, we didn't have to get ourselves put together and fixed up before we could come and receive salvation and relationship with you. God, I thank you that your spirit has regenerated our hearts, allowed us to see our sinfulness and yet the beauty of the gospel and respond to it. God, would you help us not to become proud of who we are, what we've become, but God, would we stay humble, seeing the work of your spirit in us and God, loving our neighbor as ourselves, wanting to restore them in gentleness, wanting to bear their weight and their sins, wanting to help them walk with you. God, make us that kind of church. We pray in your name. Amen.